So this is going to be a little different this morning. Um, over the last couple of months, we've talked a lot about sharing our testimonies um, and about the power of that in little testimonies, big testimonies. Um, this morning, I'm going to share my a big part of my testimony that I haven't shared here. I haven't really shared this hardly anywhere. Um, and I don't really want to very much. Paul had one of those moments with me where he's like, you need to be sharing this. Um, and I was like, all right. Um, so I'm doing this out of obedience and not excitement. I just want to throw that out there. Um, and so I appreciate your, your grace and your going with me on this. Um, it, it, this is going to take up our whole time. I'm going to tell you my story. and I'll, I'll, I can't help but preach if I'm in front of people. So there will be a couple little preaching things in there as well. Um, but hopefully this will be an encouragement to some of you. Um, I think I probably want to move around because of my back. Thanks, my dad. Um, speaking of my dad, so I'm going to, no, I'm okay. I, for my back, it'll, I think, be a little better to move, to move around. Um, so my parents, who are these two, who you all know, they're both uh, first-generation Christians, um, saved during the Jesus People revival of the 70s, if you guys recall that, a few of you do. Um, and so I, I grew up, <laughs> they do, I grew up in a passionately Christ-centered house. That, that was my life. I, my mom always had Christian radio on. I heard multiple sermons throughout the day, like when I was home for summers and stuff. Everything from Derek Prince to Chuck Swindoll to like a big gamut of stuff and tons of stuff. So I grew up listening to five sermons a day and a bunch of praise music and praying in tongues while I cleaned the house with her and did chores. And that was normal for me. And I didn't know that was abnormal. <laughs> and I also didn't know, understand at the time, how blessed I was to be getting good Bible teaching for hours every day. And then they sent us to Christian schools, um, and they sacrificed everything financially in order to be able to just do that. And again, I learned the Bible every single day in school. Um, and so then by the time I got to college, I was a pastor. And <laughs> that never would have happened if it wasn't for my parents. Um, and so I owe, obviously, everything to them and Jesus. But mostly my parents. No, just kidding. Um, it's, it's a close thing. It's a close thing. Um, and that's what parents are supposed to be for us. They're supposed to bring us closer to the Lord and be our example of him. So I've, I've never known a day in my life away from the Lord. Um, and I know I've shared that here before. Um, I, I have memories from when I was two years old. I have two or three memories. And in those memories, I'm a Christian. And I can't explain how I know that, but I do <laughs> when I remember those memories. So I've, I've always known the Lord. So this isn't a testimony of how I got saved and the how and the when of that. Um, but this is a testimony of how God has saved me over and over again uh, throughout my life. Um, my parents have been pregnant five times. And you know me and my sister is here today and my brother Matt. A lot of you know Matt. He's out in D.C. now. He comes and preaches once in a while. Um, and two of the children they lost. Um, their first child was lost tragically um, this was their first. Uh, my mom had a fall at work um, and lost the baby. And that was, you know, obviously a tragic thing and a difficult thing. And um, the following year, I think, my mom was about three months pregnant again. Um, three months pregnant, she woke up, didn't feel right, and she started hemorrhaging. Like, very, very severely. Um, and pause for the first teaching moment. Um, <laughs> So in moments like this, the part of your brain that handles reason and speech gets turned off. 
Medically speaking, they call this panic, those moments. Certain brain functions turn off. And so you know you need to pray, but putting words together isn't really possible because your brain can't function that way right now. And so a lot of people think that in order to pray or say a good prayer, you need to be eloquent and you need to put good words together. It needs to be a beautiful thing. Um, but in this moment, you're not capable of making some sort of beautiful, eloquent prayer. You might not even be able to speak at all because your brain just can't handle it because you're in panic mode. Um, and that's okay. God's okay with that. You don't need to be able to pray an eloquent prayer, quote a bunch of scriptures and a few good preachers in order for God to be like, you have moved me with that prayer. It was excellent. Yes, I will grant your request. You know, that's not how it works, right? It's more like a little kid. You know, we've all seen little kids that are, they get hurt and they just hold their arms up. Ah, that's all they do. They just hold their arms up to their daddy or their mommy and they get taken care of. That's often what prayer is like. And that's okay. That is a perfect prayer. This, just reaching up to mom or dad, that is a perfect example of prayer. And sometimes that's all we can do, and that is totally enough. And so if we are in a panic mode or in a difficult mode or a crisis mode or some sort of circumstance, that's all we need to do. We don't need to worry about whether or not God's going to hear us. We just need to reach up for daddy. And so that, I think that's what mom did in that moment. Um, she's in panic mode, hemorrhaging everywhere. This is not bad. And so she managed to scream out one word. What was the word? Jesus! That's all she could manage. And that prayer was sufficient. She stopped bleeding. Boom. Just like that. Nothing else. And that was it. That was the end. And I was born about five months later. And so God saved me even in the womb. Even in the womb, he intervened, um, I believe, to save me. Um, at my two-month baby check, give or take, uh, the doctor could tell there was something wrong with Nate. And so sent him to another doctor, to a specialist at the U of M, who diagnosed me with hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, which I could write on the board, but you'd never remember it anyway. Um, uh, hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, it's a very rare condition. Um, they think maybe 15,000 people have it, give or take. Um, hypohydrotic means without water. Ectodermal, that's the middle layer of your skin. The word dysplasia means something's missing. So literally something's missing in the middle layer of my skin relating to being without water. So what that means is I don't have sweat pores or sweat glands or sebaceous glands. I don't have body hair which grows out of sweat pores. So girls will sometimes touch my arm and be like, oh my goodness, you're so soft. I'm like, these arms would look weird on you. You don't want these arms. Um, uh, and um, so yeah, missing the sweat pores is, is the, the primary um, hallmark of the condition. Uh, there's some other things as well. Um, uh, I only have two natural teeth, for example, wear dentures, um, very sparse hair. I shave now, but before I had very sparse, uh, sparse hair. And we all kind of look alike, everybody with this condition. You know how when you see someone with Down syndrome, you know they have Down syndrome? Because everybody with Down syndrome sort of looks alike? Well, this condition is actually just like that. If you saw a picture of 30 of us, you'd be like, there's a lot of clones or something on that screen. Uh, no, actually, that's interesting. Most of them are very small. Most, I've, I'm the biggest one I've ever seen. There's one other guy who's, who's been pretty big that I saw on YouTube, but everybody else has been small, so I think I'm kind of an outlier in that respect. Um, now, of course, the difference between this and Down syndrome is when you see someone Down syndrome, even if you didn't know that it was a thing, you'd be like, something's off, right? Whereas 
unless you're a medical professional, you wouldn't look at me and be like, you're funny looking. There's something totally off about your face, right? <laughs> Maybe you would. Maybe you would. Please don't say that if you are thinking it. Um, um, and so that's the difference, you know. But, and I didn't even realize all that stuff until later. Like, after the internet became possible and I started looking at pictures, it freaked me out. There's a bunch of me's. This is weird. I was a big fan of the X-Files at the time, and it was kind of tripping me out that um, I was part of some sort of government experiment. Um, uh, so the mo probably the most dangerous aspect of this is that I, because I don't sweat, my body has no way of cooling itself off naturally. Okay, So when I get warm, I get heat exhaustion. And that's true with any of you. Um, same symptoms of heat exhaustion. You get a headache, stomachache, nausea, eventually dizziness, fainting, heat stroke, you know, bad stuff potentially. Um, but with me, I get it much, much faster. It sets on more quickly. It gets more severe and more quickly. And then it doesn't go away because I don't have any way to cool myself off naturally. And so I have to find artificial ways to cool myself off, which is why we, part of why we reoriented the room this way so that my head could be in front of the air conditioner during the summer months when it's warm. And there were a couple Sundays this summer where it was beautiful outside and we could have been out there, but it was just too hot for me if I was going to be out there and preach or anything like that. I have to be within a couple of feet of an air conditioner um, or I get sick. Um, so that kind of explains all of that. Some of you know that part of it. I think I've talked about that a little bit. Um, I also have no cilia in my nose or in my lungs. Cilia are tiny little hairs. Um, and their job is to move, move mucus and particulates through your sinuses and your lungs. It's kind of gross, I know, but we're getting medical now. Um, and so I don't have that. And so all the little particulates that are in the air that you breathe every day just get stuck in there. And they just sit there in that mucus, and it gets nasty, and it festers, and you get a sinus infection or lung infection because I don't have those little cilia to move it through. I actually think I have a sinus infection right now, probably. Um, and so because of that, my body was always fighting off infection, essentially, as a child, um, because I always was fighting off a sinus infection or a lung infection, literally all the time. And so because of that, I was doctors called it immune compromised like someone who had HIV, for example, um, or AIDS would be considered immune compromised. There's other MS, there's other things. Um, and so they called it that. Now, we didn't understand this at the time, that the sinuses were the main problem. Like, we didn't really get that. I got sick a lot, but not a lot was known about this condition. It was so rare, right? So we didn't really know that. All we knew is I was sick all the time. Like, literally three out of every four weeks, I was sick. Three out of every four. I had strep throat 50 times when I was a kid, which is not an exaggeration. Literally had strep 50 times. A lot of times it'd be coupled with um, an upper respiratory infection or bronchitis or something like that. Um, as I got a little bit older, eventually I transitioned from strep to sinus infections, which is maturity, right, or something. Um, but I was always, always sick, three out of every four weeks. Um, not, not that fun. Difficult childhood, in a sense, always sick. Uh, missed a lot of school, as you can imagine. Um, one year, I missed so many days of school that the district was going to make me repeat the grade. Um, and the principal, Mr. Plath, I don't know if you remember, but he had to write to the district. He wrote a letter and sent my, my grades and everything like, don't hold, he doesn't have to be held back, it's fine. And they, they let, let me pass the grade, which was great. Praise God. I think he saved me there as well. Um, and so all, all that kind of suffering, that kind of sickness and experience growing up made me pretty mentally tough, I think, in a lot of ways. You just get used to stuff. That was my life. That was all I knew. Um, and so regarding physical stuff, I was pretty mentally tough. And then when I, when I was about 12, uh, 
something happened that I couldn't handle. And that was kind of the first time that something happened that I really, really couldn't handle. Um, from when I was a little kid, my parents trained us to pray at the dinner table and before bed. So we got, we got used to praying and learning how to pray. And you'll remember this, of course. Um, at the end of every time I would pray, I had this little litany that I would say every single time. I'd pray for this, pray for the food, pray for whatever. And then I'd say, and may all the sick people get better, which that was important to me as a sick person. May all the poor people have food. Uh, poor people were just something that God put on my heart when I was little. May Tim and all my other relatives become Christians. And may we have a baby sister. <laughs> Amen. And that was my litany every single time I prayed. Now, that's not normal for a little boy to pray for a baby sister. Oftentimes, they would complain about such things, right? But I don't, I don't know why. God just put it on my heart from when I was super, super little to pray for baby sister. And I made Matt do it, too. Um, I'm not saying he didn't want it, but, dude, this is how you pray. You pray for a baby sister. And so he did. Um, and I did every day or twice a day or my whole life growing up. I prayed for a baby sister. Um, God just put that on my heart. And one day when I was around 12, I think, um, mom announced that she was pregnant. And this was super exciting. We were ecstatic. Um, I had no doubt that this was God answering my prayer. I just knew it. I knew it was God answering my prayer. And it was the first tangible time that I can remember at least being like, wow, God really did answer my prayer. And it wasn't something random. It was something really, really specific. This was, this was crazy. Couldn't have been happier. Um, when she was about four months pregnant, my mom somehow fell at church and went to the doctor shortly thereafter, um, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. I remember she picked us up from school right after, I think right after going to the doctor, and she was uncharacteristically quiet. If you know my mom, she's not all that quiet. And... I was like, what's wrong? And she said, well, I went to the doctor and they couldn't find a heartbeat, but, so I'll go back and we'll, we'll check up on the baby. And I was like, okay. She seemed a little concerned, and I wasn't, because this was the prayer baby, right? This was the prayer baby. I'm not concerned. God made this happen. This is a miraculous pregnancy. And, and she fell at church, for crying out loud, okay? At church, no. Everything's going to be fine. It's, it's not a problem. Um, I remember watching at the window when they were at the hospital, or at the doctor, and, um, sorry. <laughs> Mom got out of the car and uh, didn't move to come in. And Dad got out and went around to her and gave her a big hug for a really long time. <laughs> I knew that we had lost our baby. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> um, something broke in my heart. I, I felt it break. At least it didn't seem like I could feel it break. Um, and uh, I, I didn't quite give up, though. I'm really stubborn. <laughs> Some of you know how stubborn I am. Um, so... I was like, I'm not going to give up yet. And um, I didn't tell anybody I was doing this, but I prayed that God would bring the baby back to life. Um, I prayed for, I know, a couple days, um, and that, you know, didn't happen. Um, and I went to the hospital because um, I insisted on going with. Um, 
when mom had a DNC, and I unfortunately knew what that was. And I didn't consciously choose to do it, but I know that was the day that I flipped a switch on my emotion. I just went, this sucks. Nope. Off. And I, I didn't talk to God again after that. Um, was it too long later uh, that I got sick again? Of course. Uh, strep. No big surprise. Um, didn't get better. It turned into an upper respiratory infection, um, bronchitis, and it got, it got bad. It was worse than normal. I was really, really sick. I remember missing Thanksgiving, um, sitting in the little makeshift croup tent that we made in our living room. Um, while everybody ate th Thanksgiving, I felt very sorry for myself. And, um, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And eventually my, my lungs were so heavy that they were squishing into all my, all my internal organs. And like squishing my stomach flat, I couldn't even keep any food down for a couple days. And then mom's like, that's it, we're going back to the doctor. And so we went to urgent care. They sent us to the ER. And the ER diagnosed me with bacterial and viral pneumonia at the same time in both lungs. Both lungs, viral and bacterial pneumonia at the same time, never happens. The doc said, this is a one in a million case of pneumonia. I'm writing this up in a journal. And there's less than a million cases of pneumonia every year in the US, so I might have been the only one that year. Um, so I hit the disease jackpot again. Um, and I, I did not feel particularly lucky, though. Um, too young to go to Vegas, but I, I didn't feel lucky. I didn't feel anything at that point. I was still emotionally numb, and now I was so physically sick that I didn't care about anything. I didn't care if I lived or died, honestly. I, I went to the hospital because they took me. If it was up to me, I would have been like, whatever, I'm just going to die here in this, in this bed. Because um, I just, I didn't care, and I was just so sick. Um, they, they were admitting me in the nurse, this is a little gross too, sorry, but the, the nurse gave me a container for a specimen, like a, like a phlegm specimen, right? Next time you cough, don't worry about it. Whenever I'm just like, here, you know, because I knew I didn't have to wait. Did you like the action there? Um, anyway, so there was black fuzz on this thing. And that freaked me out a little bit because I'm like, I know I'm sick, but I really know you're not supposed to have black fuzz inside you. Not like that is inappropriate. Um, 12, right? Yeah, 12. Still 12, but it was. Almost 12, that's right. I turned 12 like three weeks after I got out of the hospital, four weeks. Yeah, because it was December. Yep. Yeah, so almost 12. Um, they gave me an IV antibiotic, which I got hives from. Broke out in hives everywhere. So they switched to the other arm, hives, fever everywhere. And so now it's really a party because I'm super sick, can't eat, and now I got a fever and I'm itching everywhere. And it's super fantastic. And they had to give me this like oxygen thing um, and all, all this stuff, it was bad. And so the drugs aren't working. And I remember they were like, do you want us to go for the leg now? I'm like, just put it in the, in the diseased arm. It doesn't matter at this point, I don't care. Um, and now what the doctors weren't telling me is that I wasn't allergic to these antibiotics. I was so sick that my body was rejecting the medicine. And that's why people die of pneumonia. Pneumonia is the number eight cause of death in the US. And among people who are immune compromised, it's the number one cause of death because your body gets so sick it rejects the drugs. It just, no, we don't want anything else in here. We're dying, get out. Um, and so I had already rejected two, and this was not good. Okay, they didn't tell me this, of course. Um, it was not good, though. My parents were praying, 
very hard, <laughs> calling everybody at church, pray, pray, pray. Um, I remember I decided to pray too, even though I hadn't been talking to God the last you know, few weeks, month, whatever it was. Um, but I decided to pray. And as soon as I started praying, I had this thought in my head that said, God didn't save your baby sister, even though you had prayed for her for your whole life. So why is he going to save you? As soon as I started praying, I had that thought. Now, now I know to recognize that thought as the devil. That is not God. That wasn't even my own brain. Although I was upset, so I believed it because I didn't recognize that that was the enemy speaking to me. And so I, I didn't really even bother praying. Um, and that's not good. <laughs> that's, that's wrong. Yes, I was a kid, but it was still the wrong thing to do. Um, and it's important that you know that. I wasn't praying. I didn't have faith for this. It's important for you to know that um, because of what happened next, which was my parents were praying. And they realized there was a good chance I might die here. This, this might be it. But they were secure, and they had faith anyway, because the last time I had been in the hospital, God had given my mom a word from, let's see, Psalm 128.6, I think it is. The whole song. Okay. Well, and that verse is, you shall see your children's children. You shall see your children's children. That was a word God gave my mom for herself the last time I was in the hospital. And so she's like, well, if I'm going to see my children's children, he can't die as a kid in the hospital. Right? And so she, she was standing on that word. She had faith. They both did as did, you know, the friends, everybody who was praying. They were standing on that word. They knew that God was going to heal me. I didn't. Uh, I, I have no doubt that God healed me through the faith of my parents in particular because it wasn't my faith. I didn't have it at the time. And it, it reminds me of the story of the paralytic man who apparently didn't want to go to Jesus to get prayer, but his friends didn't care, and so they took him anyway, and they brought him up in the house, and they cut a hole in the roof of the house, which I don't feel like is nice, but they did it. And then they lowered him down, because there were so many people there they couldn't get through with a guy on a mat. And so they lowered their paralyzed friend down to Jesus, and he prayed for him. And so Jesus said then, it's because of the faith of your friends that you're healed. And I was healed at that time because of the faith of my parents and the other people who were praying for me. Um, years later, many years later, as an adult, God showed me the connection between losing my baby sister and getting sick to the point of death. I didn't, I didn't get the connection at the time. But he showed me later that what was going on is I had taken all of that pain and rage and sorrow and utter and complete disappointment in God. I had taken all that and I just internalized it and then shut the door and just left it in there. And you can't do that <laughs> with stuff. And it quickly just turned into something terrible. And in my case, that meant sickness. It's like, and sometimes in life that happens. You can't stop that stuff from coming, right? Sometimes that junk happens. But what we do with it is what matters. It's like somebody gave me a, shoved a big mouthful of poison in my mouth. And instead of spitting it out, which would have been the smart thing to do, I just swallowed it. And so then it, came, it went in there and it did its work over time. And that, that's why I got so sick is because I internalized all of that, that negative emotion um, over what was going on. And God showed me that as an adult. And I, at, the, at that time, even as an adult, I hadn't really fully dealt with it all. And, so, and that's the way God works sometimes. Something you think you've dealt with, God brings back to you. There's a little more to deal with. There's a little more. There's a little more. And that's okay. Um, at the time, I was like, oh, man, I thought I dealt with this. I'm a lousy person. He's like, it's not about that. Um, because that's not true. I just I didn't have access to those emotions at the time. 
And then eventually I did, and God's like, so let's get rid of this stuff. Um, and I was able to, to get some prayer um, about that whole you know, miscarriage situation, and, and I felt <laughs> so much better um, after that. That was early in college. Um, you know, horrible things happen in life to all of us, and it's important that we deal with them. Sometimes we can't deal with something right away, so we flick that switch for a little bit, and that's okay. That's part of the mourning process. But eventually, we got to deal with that. We got to get the poison out, or it's going to kill us. You know, Paul's talked about this before when he talks about a father wound, but it's the same thing. Time does not heal all wounds. It just closes it off and lets it rot in there, and eventually, it's going to get you. Physical illness, mental illness, emotional problems, those are the kind of things that come from locking this stuff up and not dealing with it, not giving it to the Lord, not working through it. And it almost always leads to a wall in your relationship with God, that there will be a place in your relationship with God that you can't get any further. No matter what happens, you just can't get through this wall. And I've talked to so many people who have been in that circumstance, and I talk to them a lot, and it turns out there's a very serious issue that they haven't fully dealt with, a hurt or a pain or an unforgiveness issue or something like that, and that, that's the block, and they're not going to get around it till they, till they deal with it and put themselves under the care of their wonderful counselor, Jesus, who will help us work through these things. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to anybody here you know, today about something that they maybe need to deal with, pray about that. You can talk to me about it. You can always come to me for prayer or Paul or my mom, who's done counseling ministry for like 30 years. Um, and we'd like to pray, pray for you, you know, about that, help you work through it. Um, and I'd like you also to, to keep that in mind for your friends and other people in your family, too. Because sometimes there are people around us who are, you can tell they're holding on to something. Or you just know because you have that actual knowledge. Um, and you can pray for that and just keep praying for them over and over and over again. And then maybe God will bring you an opportunity to talk to them and, about it at some point. Um, reopening old wounds is never fun. But if you have a wound that's getting infected, you gotta, you gotta open it up, you gotta scrub it out. Um, okay, continue with the story. Uh, two years after all of that bad stuff happened, my mom got pregnant again. Hooray, hooray. Um, but she went to the doctor and the doctor got really, really concerned and put her on bed rest. So she was on bed rest. I, at that point, was super worried because of what had happened with the last pregnancy. So I, I, I tried not to think about it. I was like super Norwegian <laughs> and like, everything is fine. We're going to work hard and do this. We can handle this. <laughs> and, so I, and so I helped out. I helped out with, you know, I, doing cooking and cleaning and all that kind of stuff because she was on the couch. She couldn't do anything. And I'm like, we will get through this by hard work and determination and a refusal to admit we have emotion, um, which is how Minnesota raised me. <laughs> Um, can anyone relate to that? So eventually my sister was born, praise Jesus. Stephanie is here. Yes, we are talking about Stephanie. She is born, um, but right away she had to go back to the hospital because she was so badly jaundiced. She had to go back to the hospital for several days, um, which was also super scary. And then we got her home, and partly because of all that, she, she was uh, colicky. Super colicky. She screamed for nine months because she was in so much pain. She literally just screamed for nine straight months. She's heard this story so many times. But it sort of <laughs> affected our lives 
a lot. It's not her fault, but this was the prayer baby that had finally been born. This was the prayer, and the prayer baby's broke. She's stuck on scream. And it affected me. My mom was a zombie. She never slept. She doesn't remember that period of time. Literally, like, no memories. Um, I have to tell her stories about it, and she's like, I don't remember any of that, because she was a zombie the whole time. Um, but praise God, God healed her. She got better. She stopped um, screaming and spit, spitting up all over the floor. We had blankets. Our entire floor was covered in different blankets that we would then change out, um, which I can relate to because my children were all major vomiters. Like, they just, all the time, just no reason. How's it going, Black? Um, Thanks. Thanks for that. The car seat is now in trouble. So God healed her, and that was wonderful. And I, I started to realize that, okay, this is done. This is over. She's born. God answered my prayer. This is real. It's a real thing. Um, and I got super excited because God had, God had answered the prayer that I prayed all my life for a baby sister. And that summer, my cousin Tim became a Christian too, same summer. That was one of my other prayers. So both those things happened like within just a few months of each other, and God... God changed me forever in that moment to understand the power of prayer, the power of God to do the miraculous, to heal. Um, and I've never been able to be dissuaded of that um, because of what God did for me at the time. Uh, I was still sick all the time. One thing after another. Continued into my childhood, high school, college. Um, about 10 years ago, I went to an ENT and got some really good advice and some self-treatment stuff and whatever. And it's actually been quite a bit better since then, um, the whole sickness thing. It's been quite a bit better since then, so I'm really, really thankful uh, for that. I thank God every day, literally, that I'm not sick. Every day I'm not sick. I get up and I walk around. I don't feel sick. Thank you, God, that I don't feel sick right now. Most people would never think of that, um, but that's, that's been my experience. Still do. I still get sick a lot. I think I'm sick right now, um, actually. Um, and I get from things like H1N1 when we were in Japan and some other fun things. Still prone to sinus infections, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've also had to deal with chronic pain throughout my life. I don't know if some of you have had to deal with chronic pain. Uh, my sinuses cause me pain all the time. My, always, this always hurts in here. Just literally constantly hurts. If I'm sick or I have a cold or allergy season, then it hurts way worse. Um, and it can be really, it can be difficult to sleep or like concentrate on stuff because um, it's just like, oh. Um, but it always hurts somewhat. And then um, because I have dentures, I only have two teeth, which are up here, I, so I wear dentures, and so my bottom plate pushes against my bone because when you don't have teeth, you don't have gums. So I have no gums. It's just a bone with a little skin ridge, basically. And so every time I eat, this pushes against the bone, and it's been getting gradually worse as I've gotten older, and there's nothing they can do. They can't do implants or anything like that. Um, so I'm constantly in pain in my mouth. It always hurts. Um, and if I eat something that takes a lot of chewing, like I don't eat raw vegetables, it just gets too crunchy, it takes too much chewing, it hurts. I do eat steak because it's so awesome. Um, <laughs> but I pay for it. The whole next day I'm still sore if I, if I eat steak. It's still worth it. Um, still worth it. it, it going to Manny's for my birthday, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love it. Um, but, con you know, constant pain, not fun. I, also, this is unrelated to my condition, but um, I have scoliosis in my mid-back. And so I have constant pain from that. And then my neck, you know, your neck is supposed to be like this, and mine is like this. 
Um, so that causes constant pain. So my back always hurts, back and neck always, to one degree or another always hurts. So lots of constant pain. So I've, I've been able to run into some people over the years with constant pain, especially my previous position in Wisconsin was a very blue-haired congregation. A lot of people there going through constant pain. And so I was able to, to give some comfort to some people, you know, to be like, God, God can still work through constant pain, chronic stuff. He's still awesome. It'll still work. Um, so I, I've shared a lot about suffering, um, physical suffering throughout my life. Suffering sucks. That's kind of the definition of suffering. If you look up suffering dictionary, say it sucks. Um, nobody wants to suffer. <laughs> we would never sign up for that. Uh, God has taught me, though, that suffering does have some beneficial results. Really does. Uh, nothing is wasted in God, ever. Nothing is ever wasted in God. And suffering is actually one of the most powerful things that God can use in your life to transform you into being more like Christ. And I think some of us have experienced that. Suffering can, if we let it, mold us into having a more Christ-like character. And the challenge is to cooperate with God in that, right? Um, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, we just want to wail and complain. Oh, woe is me, I'm suffering, this is so terrible. Or pray for deliverance. And it's not wrong to pray for, for escape and deliverance. I, I think that's fine. You see that in the Bible. I certainly did that and still do. But if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, instead of whining and complaining, when we whine and complain, I think it, it, it's just it's a waste of time, for one thing. Um, but it also it subverts the Holy Spirit's desire to try to use this for good. And so I've, I've been through so much suffering that I came to the conclusion, and this is my personal philosophy, that if I have to suffer then I'm sure as heck going to get something out of it. Right? Because if I can't change the circumstance, which I can't, I'm sure as heck going to get something out of it. And that means humility, and it means cooperating with the Holy Spirit to let God do in me what he wants to do. Because the awesomeness of God is not only is God almighty no matter what our circumstances. He doesn't change. He is God no matter what our circumstances. But even through crappy circumstances, trials, suffering, difficulties, even through that, he can work that for good, and he can actually help us. We can be better at the end of a horrible trial than we were at the beginning. And who else but God could do that? Who else but God alone could do that? And so if we let him, he can do that. And I, I've tried to do that. I, I'm improving. I'm, I'm not awesome at it. Uh, but I am improving to try to let God use this suffering for good, to bring about something, something that is useful for me or for somebody else. And God can increase our humility through this process. It, it has to. We have to humble ourselves or we just suffer more. It allows God to be strong in our weaknesses, which he promises he'll do, and that's really important. It also forces us to rely on God more, right? And when I say rely on God, it's like clinging on for dear life sometimes. When things are really bad, when we get that phone call from that person, when our kid's in the hospital, whatever it is, we've all experienced this kind of stuff, and we have to cling on for dear life. Um, sometimes I felt like, I'm hanging on to a tree in the middle of a hurricane. And like I'm blowing horizontally and just hanging onto this tree. But that's all I got. That's all I got is God. That's all I got. And that is actually a good place to be. That's called total reliance on God, right? We all need to get to a place where we totally rely on God for everything. Everything that we need, emotionally, physically, money, <laughs> whatever it is. We need to be able to rely on God for literally everything we need. And that total reliance is a difficult place to get to. I, most people never get there. But suffering can help us to get there. It really can. And so from that point of view, I think 
suffering in heaven, we might look back and see some of our own suffering as maybe a good thing, which sounds insane, but I think that might be true. At the very least, God can use it because that kind of a yielding to him results in incredible power, incredible power over the enemy, incredible power spiritually. Um, Suffering can get us to all those places. It's also a really good witness to other people. When other people know what you're going through, when they know you're suffering, and they say, how are you not freaking out? How are you not drunk? How are you not refusing to show up to work? How are you not whatever? Um, When you can display the peace of Christ that's in you in the midst of your suffering, that can be a powerful witness for people. And that can really, really make a difference. I mean, Jesus suffering on the cross, the way he suffered is what people notice, people remember. The centurion partway through is like, truly this man was the son of God. Holy cow. Look at the way he suffered. And there's very little outside of suffering that can have that powerful of an impact on other people when they see it. And so I'm not saying wear your suffering on your sleeve for everyone to see all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but we can be open and honest. If someone says, how you doing? You can be like, I'm having a really tough week. It's, it's a really tough week, but God is good, and it's going to be great. You know? Especially with each other, we can do that. Because this is a safe place where we can share those sort of things. So I'm going to stop and pray now. I'm halfway through. <laughs> we'll, we'll finish another time. But let's, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are God Almighty regardless of our circumstance. Regardless of what's going on in our life, whether things are great or terrible, that you are God, that you are unchanging. You're the only thing in the universe that doesn't change. The only thing. Everything else changes. Jobs change. Taxes change. Sickness comes and goes. Friends come and go. Everything else is changing. Unreliable sometimes. You are always reliable because you never change. You're like a rock. You're always the same. And we can trust in you. And we can anchor ourselves to you. And we can build upon you and trust that you're going to always be faithful to us. And I praise you for that. I praise you that you are God no matter what our circumstances are. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to not focus on our circumstances, to not focus on the suffering itself when it happens, the difficulty and the trials, but to focus on you and to humble ourselves enough to say, okay, Lord, I would prefer not to go through this. If you can take it away, that would be awesome. But if not, and if this is something I have to go through, like Jesus said in Gethsemane, if this is something I have to go through, then I'll do it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble in those moments and to say, Lord, please use this for good in my life. And I trust that you're going to do that. Help this to be something that strengthens me, that teaches me to rely upon you, that helps me to become more like Christ, even through this difficulty. And I pray that you would help us to have open eyes to those around us who might be suffering or who might be going through something difficult or maybe have in the past and they haven't dealt with it, they haven't forgiven or they haven't let go. I pray that you would help us to have open ears and open hearts and that we wouldn't just walk around our lives focused on what we have to do today, but that we can be asking, Lord, what can I do today for you in the lives of people around me and that you would send us the people that we can just listen to, pray for, love on, and encourage. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're at time, so I'm going to end. If anybody has any questions, feel free to come up and ask me, though, or talk to me about it. Next week starts Advent. Yay.
We're going to have an Advent wreath and candles and the whole deal. We will be singing Christmas songs because they're awesome. So thanks, everybody. I appreciate you listening to my story. And say hi to somebody.